Hello and welcome to the Pulpiteer Podcast, an audio online ministry of Pastor Andy Kroll and St. John's Pilgrim United Methodist Church. You can visit us online at pilgrimumchurch.com or you can visit my blog at thepulpiteer.com for more sermons and writings. Isaiah chapter 60. I'm going to read verses 1 to 6. Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together, and they come to you. Your sons shall come from far away. Your daughters shall be carried in their nurses' arms. You shall, see, you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. Young camels of Midian and of Ephah. Those of Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me, please? But gracious God, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart would be an acceptable sacrifice to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So just so you know, one of the things I adjusted was I did make the sermon a, a little bit shorter. We'll be out of here in under three hours. I, I promise you, it'll be awesome. Uh, I wanted to start, as we were looking at this Epiphany Sunday, I wanted to start uh, with a little bit of a, a Methodist history lesson, because why not? Um, this is Bishop Matthew Simpson, fine-looking chap. He was elected bishop in 1852. And Bishop Simpson came to be bishop at a time where there was um, some division among the Methodist Church, and uh, it was there were kind of two different streams of thought that were starting to part ways. You got to understand the Methodist Church, if you remember right, the the Methodists were a movement within the Church of England, and then it came over to uh, North America, as it was in North America, and it was within the Church of England here in North America. But then after the Revolutionary War, oddly enough, the Church of England wasn't doing so well, and uh, the Methodists were left and they had to form their own church. As they formed their own church, they were this um, revivalistic, Holy Spirit-filled people that went out, that hit the frontier, and, and did small groups and called people to holy lives and holy living. And it was this kind of crazy, amazing spirit movement that happened. And because of that, this little denomination that, that formed became the largest denomination in the country. So by this time, when Simpson became bishop, there were a couple things going on. Of course, the country was growing and then going through its own growing pains and difficulties with the issues of slavery, for example. But the American experiment had also pretty well taken off. And so one of the things that Simpson wanted, see, there was one wing of the church that said, hey, we're, we need to make sure we hold on to this, um, this thing that, that made us, this revivalistic, um, spirit-filled, camp-meeting, holiness thing old-fashioned Methodism, and then there was another movement within the church that, that Simpson was a part of that said, you know, we, need, we have this grand nation. We need a grand church for a grand nation. And his thought was, if we can, uh, since we have such a large church, what do you do with this large church? And he thought, well, maybe we can gain influence over the positions of power and over the cultural elites and we can gain this influence and use it to share Jesus with people. And so it's a way to, to kind of to get those positions of power and things like that. Simpson himself was a friend of President Abraham Lincoln. In fact, he uh, a friend and confidant. 
he preached at Lincoln's funeral, and so he certainly had you know, those, the, the connections and, and the influence and that sort of thing. And so Methodism really at that point had these kind of two different streams where one of them was seeking after that sort of um, cultural respectability and that sort of cultural influence, and then the other was more concerned with um, kind of our Methodist roots and that sort of stuff. That, that division is, is part of what we are experiencing today, actually. And that temptation... That temptation to find cultural respectability has proved disastrous for our denomination over time, I would argue. That temptation for cultural respectability and to have positions of power affects people on the right and on the left. It is tempting to seek cultural respectability and power. It is tempting to be seen on the TV as part of the President's Council of whatchamacallit, on there, you know, doing one of the faith leaders with regardless of what the president's doing, just like, but I'm the pastor with the guy, right? It's tempting to seek those, those levers of power and that sort of cultural control. And it's been a temptation, and, and, and it's been a temptation for Christians of all stripes. And, and we keep thinking, well, but we won't compromise ourselves. Surely we won't compromise ourselves. But then somehow, it often happens. It often seems to happen. Now, I'll give you all that as background, so I want you to think about this, because, again, the temptation is if we can just get the right power or the right influence or whatever, then we can influence people. This is Epiphany Sunday. And Epiphany Sunday um, is a Sunday that uh, Epiphany means to manifest or to appear. And for, so for Christians, we celebrate Epiphany as the manifestation of Christ as God. It would also be known as a theophany. A theophany means a manifestation of God or an appearance or a revelation of God, that sort of thing. Think of Moses and then the mountain where there's clouds and thunder and lightning and rumbling and all that stuff. That's a theophany, this kind of a, a appearance or manifestation of God. Isaiah 60 that we just read is connected to Epiphany Sunday. And it proclaims, it's a prophecy about the coming of the glory of God. And that glory of God comes as a light to a people who are in a deep darkness. And it's a prophecy first to the Jewish people, so it's this prophecy to the Jewish people who are in a bad way when this prophecy comes. And, and, and uh, things are, are not going well for them, but here's this promise that the glory of the Lord will shine upon you, and as that glory of the Lord shines upon you and that light from the Lord shines upon you, an amazing thing happens. Not only do things start to go, to go well for you and people return from exile, but a, a, an incredible thing happens. The nations start to stream towards you. And maybe you heard that in Isaiah 60, that the other nations, they start to come towards the light of the Lord that's found in the people of Israel. So, so God's people, the glory of the Lord shines upon God's people. That light cuts through the darkness. And then we find these other nations coming to them. This is why this is connected to Epiphany Sunday or Three Kings Sunday. The, other, the gospel reading for the day is from Matthew 2. It's the coming of the wise men, the magi to visit the Christ child. And if you think about that whole story, here you have these wise men from other nations coming to Christ. And, and think about that. They're coming to Christ. They're bringing gold and frankincense. And if you listened, if you caught it in Isaiah 60, verse 6, it talks about they shall bring gold and frankincense. They shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. And so you have these foreigners from other places bringing gifts to the Lord. And so, of course, the church has seen um, Jesus as the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 60. That thing that God promises is going to happen in Isaiah 60 um, happens in the person of Jesus Christ and these foreign nations come to the Lord. And it's an amazing thing because they come to the Lord 
uh, because, because they, they, they come to the light. They come to the light of the Christ child. The glory of the Lord shines on them. Glory of the Lord shines on them. The light comes out. The, the nations gather. And, and so that happens with Jesus. I mean, think about Mary and Joseph. Did Mary and Joseph send out invitations to all of the wise men in the area hoping some would turn out? Did they do some sort of baby registry? Joseph was like, you know, Mary, you know what we should put on the register? We should register for gold. That, that seems like a good gift for, for people with a young baby. <laughs> gold. No, like, they didn't do anything. It was the light of Christ came, and the Magi were drawn to that. This is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Uh, Dr. John Oswald, who uh, wrote a commentary on Isaiah. Whoops, I'm sorry. I was supposed to go to, uh, sorry, there's the, the Magi. All right. Uh, Oswald wrote, do the nations come to Israel because Israel is better or more intelligent or more spiritual than they are? Not at all. Why do they come? Because of the light. They come because of the light. That's what's going on in Isaiah 60. They come because of the light. That's what's going on when Jesus is born. The Magi come because of the light. And the whole thing, the reason I tied this in to the whole thing with Bishop Simpson is we have this, um, we have this temptation to think that if we can just be culturally savvy, if we can just be intelligent enough or, or uh, um, savvy enough or whatever it is, if we do these things well enough, then we can get the people to come to us and then we can share Jesus with them where the, the pattern that's shown in Scripture is that it's the light of Christ that shines in the darkness and the people come to that. They don't come because we're more intelligent. They don't come because, thank God, right? They don't come because I'm smarter or better looking or anything like that, right? They come because the light of Christ shines in the darkness and it awakens the hunger and the people come to the light of God and the glory of God. That's how it works. We can get deceived into thinking that we need to chase all sorts of stuff to get respect or power or whatever. But what we really need is the light that is Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, in Jesus alone, is life and life abundant. And praise God, that light is for all people. One of the big things going on here, and one of the big things that, that is a big deal within Epiphany Sunday is, this is a message that, that God, and the light of God, and the Son of God is not just for one ethnic group of people, but for all the nations. Which is good news for us, because I don't know that we have many or any ethnic Jews with us this morning. Which means that when Scripture talks about the other nations that are drawn to the light of God, that means us. That means us. And thank the Lord that God so loved the whole world that he sent his son for us. And that means that if you are here today and you're struggling with stuff, if you are here today and you're battling any sort of darkness or, or just struggling with, I don't know, whatever it is, just striving up against it and you feel kind of lost, you need to know this, that the light of God comes for you. Comes for you. You don't have to be smart enough or better looking or have your life together before God loves you. The light of Christ comes for you now and comes for you in the midst of whatever darkness you're in because of God's love for you. That's the good news of the epiphany. That's the good news of, of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the good news of the gospel. I'll close with this, and I said this just a second ago. Jesus Christ saved me from my own sin.
and turn my life around. And I really want to share that Savior with the entire world because I believe people need Jesus. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. One of the things that is in our Methodist heritage around the uh, calendar year, the new calendar year, is uh, John Wesley would have a, a watch service, a watch night service or a covenant service. And he would use the new year as a way to rededicate ourselves to God. So there's a prayer in your bulletin, a prayer of dedication from Wesley's covenant service. I'm going to ask us to, to pray that together. And I want you to, as we go through and pray these words, um, with sober minds and, and reflect and being reflective, uh, I want you to pray these words and and mean them. Let's pray together. Lord, make me what you will. I put myself fully into your hands. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and with a willing heart give it all to your pleasure and disposal. Amen. Amen.